0: So a lot of technologies that are now ubiquitous in the legal profession really engendered a lot of suspicion and anxiety when they first came out. So uh, I think law tends to be a late adopter of many technologies, but the lawyers do get there eventually.
1: Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello and welcome to this episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm Seth Colliner, I'm your host, and I'm here today with David Latt, and we're going to be talking about big law. So David, why don't you go ahead and start by introducing uh, yourself and, and what you do and what your background is.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Seth. My name is David Latt, and I'm a lawyer by training. I practiced for about six or seven years, and then I went into legal journalism and writing. I started a website called Above the Law in 2006, which went on to become a very large legal news website. I left there in 2019. And since 2020, I've been writing a newsletter on the Substack platform called Original Jurisdiction, which like Above the Law, focuses on law and the legal profession. I also do some outside writing for print publications
1: and speaking as well. Excellent, thanks for that. So you're an interesting guest because you're not really an ops person per se. You have a bigger, broader view of the legal landscape and so we were looking to get that perspective as we filter down to some of the nitty gritty. I'm interested in how this conversation is going to go because you have a view that most of our guests don't, but that I certainly don't. And I'm looking forward to learning a thing or two. So let's just start, just give us an overview of, of the current state of the world of big law. Like what are the trends, the, the financial numbers, the, the layoff news and, and all of that? Just paint us a picture.
0: Sure. And thanks again for clarifying that. Although I greatly admire the trend of legal operations, I'm not an expert in it, but hopefully some of the information I share today is of use to some of your listeners who are in the legal sector. So I guess I'll make a couple of points about the world of large law firms, aka big law. I guess the first thing I would say is like the larger economy, it's holding its own. In May, the American lawyer released the new AMLA 100 rankings, which are the rankings of the nation's 100 largest law firms by revenue. And they showed that the firms are hanging in there. Gross revenue was up a little bit. Revenue per lawyer was down a little bit, but there was nothing crazy. The second thing I would say is there's a lot of variation or variability in law firm performance. It's not like the Great Recession where everybody was doing terribly. It's not like 2021 where everyone was doing amazingly. It's very specific. And so this ties into a point I would make just about layoffs. An uncertain number of firms, the firms that have not been performed, forming as well in this uncertain climate have made cuts to associate and staff ranks. The number of firms, large firms that have publicly acknowledged these cuts is probably about a dozen or low double digits. But many more have engaged in so-called stealth layoffs where they're getting rid of people for economic reasons, overcapacity, what have you. But they basically call it performance related, which I think is a really unfair thing to the lawyers. And then I guess the third thing I'll say about big law, another trend which reflects the increased leverage of employers in this labor market is firms are bringing people back to the office. A lot of them over the summer announced these post Labor Day plans to have four days a week in the office. And now those plans are in effect. So that's what's happening. And some firms are even tying annual bonuses to attendance. So those are a couple of things that are
1: going on in the world of big law. That's fascinating, especially the return to office part. It affects so much of what happens on the tech side, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, tech is still very much remote. There's the the remote trend is seems to be pretty firmly entrenched. And of course, you know, some markets, some verticals, there's more value in in being in that office. But when it comes to legal technology and legal ops, having so many people in the office certainly tweaks the challenge a little bit. Not yep. necessarily for better or mm-hmm. for worse, but just it, it's different, right? So let's move a level down. What are some of the broad trends and challenges related to funding and trying to sell into those large law firms or even large in-house groups?
0: Yeah. So I guess what I would say in terms of the challenges is law firms at the end of the day are still law firms. They're part of the legal profession, which is a very cautious, risk-averse, precedent-focused profession. And so it can be hard to get them to try new things. And so if you're selling into law firms, you're basically asking them, hey, take a chance on our technology. And so law firms, I think, are much more wary about trying something new. And then lawyers, just personality-wise, research has shown this, they tend to be very skeptical and it's good for their jobs. They're always testing arguments, critiquing things. But if you come in there and you make claims about your product, the lawyers will often say, and lawyers are often the people running these firms, maybe they're lawyers by training, maybe they're managing partners, maybe they're people who used to be lawyers and are now on the business side of law firms. They'll look at you skeptically. They'll say, wow, does that thing really work? So the other thing I would say is, They really like precedent, the way things have always been done. And so it can be very hard to displace incumbent vendors in law firms. If you have a product that's completely new, that's basically the only solution uh, for this new problem, well, that's one thing. But most products are just trying to make an existing issue addressed in a more efficient way. And if they already have a solution for that problem, whether it's Document management, or document review, or diligence, or whatever it is, they will often say, "Well, we really like this product. We don't want to try your product." So, I think it can be challenging to sell into law firms, and and the same. These observations also apply to in-house legal departments as well.
1: Yeah, I think in some ways, because of that particular market and the challenges inherent in it, like they should be skeptical, and <laughs> you know, and any major change, right? It just reduces risk, right? It's yeah. like if the thing doesn't work properly, then you know we're liable and you have to go to court. I'm sure you saw, we'll we'll get to AI a a little bit later in the conversation, but I'm I'm sure you saw and probably wrote about some months ago, somebody was using chat GPT to do legal research and it hallucinated some cases. That's sort of an extreme case of where technology really breaks down. But for sure, right? Of course, there's lots of money at stake, right? And there's precedent at stake. I mean, you you can't stumble and trip and, and let something get through. So- Sure, I guess we'll cut them some slack. In that regard, they should be skeptical. And of course, if things are working, then why change? Like, if it ain't if broke, like don't it, fix
0: it. Yep, exactly.
1: I, it is probably true of most things. and But of course, some things are broken. Some things aren't working very well. And there's so many technological solutions that purport to address all these various problems, whether they're little point solutions that are like, oh, we can fix rediscovery or whatever the case may be, or something you know broader the message from the tech industry is always like, we can solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of on that note, have you noticed a rise in demand for legal technology of late? Now, you know, for this, I'm not sure exactly what the stats are, but just anecdotally,
0: I have observed an increase in the demand for technology. And I think the reason is simple. Law firms can't afford not to stay abreast of new technology. And if their competitors are adopting tools, firms will risk falling behind if they don't adopt those tools or similar tools. A second trend that I will point out that I think is driving this increased interest in legal technology is firms have more money to invest. For many years, the number two expense for large law firms after compensation was real estate, leases for these fancy buildings, what have you. But when everything went remote during The pandemic, uh, real estate was displaced for many firms as the number two expense by technology. And firms often are shrinking their physical footprints now. They're subletting their space out to other people when they renew for a smaller amount of space. And so they have more money to spend. And a lot of that money logically is going into technology, especially technology that helps lawyers work more efficiently on a remote basis. So this actually is in many ways, very good news for people who are in legal operations, because there is just more money out there to put into new tools, new operations, new processes, because some of it's been freed up from the expense of these fancy offices and art collections and what have you.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point. And and as you know, as things are sort of some people are going back to the office, I wonder if that will shift. And maybe now is the time to get the tech sale in no, I before think it's the real seems, estate yeah. costs go back up.
0: Yeah, I think it could be it could be a good time. It's a very transitional period. And I think firms are
1: open to hearing things. I don't know if you have a good answer for this or not. So feel free to just punt on this question. Have you noticed at all what types of technologies seem to be most popular or most most salient right now? Mm,
0: yeah, that's a good question. I think
1: document automation
0: is very big right now. I think that people are realizing that it's important to be able to do more with less, especially as the billable hour is finally starting to ebb a little bit. If you are operating on a flat fee kind of arrangement, you just want to get the project done as quickly as possible, consistent with quality, of course. You no longer have an incentive to make it take a long time, and you're not going to get compensated extra if it takes a long time. And so I think for many practice areas, especially high-volume practice areas where certain documents just get assembled again and again, if you can automate that process and then just have it reviewed very carefully on the back end by a lawyer, then that is
1: actually going to be very good for your bottom line. So that's an interesting insight, just that the economics of the pay structure is pushing this change.
0: Yes, that's definitely a big part of this. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, and makes that makes tons of sense too. I mean, it's suddenly now the the burden of pay is on the firm or yeah. or the company, and so yeah, they have, they have to get fast and efficient. While as you say, while maintaining that quality. And look, the death of the billable hour to
0: firms that are super super efficient is actually great. The problem is if you are not efficient, and now you can no longer charge a client a lot of money for something that took you a long time because you're not that efficient.
1: This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin's process experience platform seamlessly wraps around existing policies and systems, allowing internal service teams to do more with what they already have. Build process experiences that are personalized for each requester, and use AI to automate the intake, triage, and resolution of every request. Maximize adoption, compliance, and efficiency with no change management and no code. Right, exactly. It's a classic shift in the value and the pay and the time. Mm-hmm. So, And a positive one, I think, overall. Sure. As someone who will be a client and will never be a lawyer, I'm sure will be a client at some point, but will never be a lawyer. For sure, I'm I'm in favor (laughs) of that. Well, so kind of getting deeper into some of the technology, you know, this past about year, AI has hit another sort of hot streak, um, largely driven by generative AI, right? And chat GPT and all these sorts of things. Uh, It seems clear to me that a big part of that drive and that interest is because Unlike a lot of AI tools of the past several years that sort of do their magic behind the scenes, uh, in many cases, generative AI tools are available to consumers and people just play with them. And yes. they see these immediate results that they can sort of interpret. You know, they give a, a natural language prompt and it creates a piece of art or it mm-hmm. writes the, an essay or something like that. And it's really easy for them to connect that dot to like, oh, wait, in my enterprise or my legal firm and my whatever the case may be. I can see how this can be applied. And so there's this, I want to call it a mania, but certainly an intensity and a drive to adopt AI in various ways in these spaces. So it's a two-part question here is, have you noticed that it's become a larger part of the conversation and has there been some resistance to it?
0: Yeah, so it's become a huge part of the conversation, maybe even at this point outstripping its actual significance or utility. Uh, There's something, I think, the consultancy, Gartner came up with the term hype cycle or something like that. And right now, we're very high on the hype cycle for AI. And when you're at this point in the curve, usually the short-term impacts end up getting overestimated and the long-term impacts end up getting underestimated. So everyone is thinking, oh my gosh, AI is going to transform my practice or the field of law right away, but it may not. It may take a little while actually, but everyone's talking about it. Pretty much every conference or panel or uh, anything I'm invited to do, AI is a topic, a very important topic. So
1: it is definitely a huge a huge part of the conversation. So one thing that's come up here and there and I've noticed so as you say, a lot of the problems, let's say that can be solved by tools like AI automating things, automating document creation and things like that, that are very much in demand right now, because uh, for the reasons you, you described, and so there's that clear use case, but also there are these ethical concerns and can yes. you speak to so? like, I, I feel like the ethical concerns are on a grid, maybe or orthogonal. Can you speak to sort of that, the issue of AI in legal ethics? So
0: I can talk about a couple of things. One. I think lawyers are also, going to a part of your earlier question, lawyers are also nervous about AI. The story about those lawyers in the Southern District of New York who relied on ChatGBT for case law, and it turned out that the case law was actually non-existent case law because the tool had hallucinated. Lawyers hear stories like that and they get very cold feet. So lawyers are definitely nervous about AI as well as, as excited about its promise. But I think here's one point I would make that actually relates to ethics. So one thing that people have to remember is a lawyer's duty of competence, which is a fundamental lawyer duty to clients, includes a duty of technological competence. Dozens of state bars have made this clear, and they have done so not by adopting new ethical rules, but by adding commentary to the existing rule about competence, saying that a lawyer's duty of competence includes staying abreast of technology that can help the lawyer deliver legal solutions to clients in a more efficient and more secure way. So lawyers have to stay on top of technology. They can't just ignore it, whether or not they want to or not, because it's part of their ethical duty. So I think that does mean keeping an eye on AI, whether you want to adopt it or not right now, or depending on what type of software you want to adopt, it's used as an element in many, but you have to kind of at least stay abreast of the developments. The second point I would make about AI and ethics is... It's really important to consider ethics in the context of training AI. People forget that these tools have to be trained on data. You give it lots of text, for example, for these large language models, what have you. And so training, it presents at least two or three, well, many issues, but one issue is there's the issue of bias, especially in a profession that's more and more concerned about diversity and equity and inclusion. If the data set you're training the AI on reflects human bias or prejudice, then the AI itself may reflect that prejudice. A second issue about training is maintaining the confidentiality of client information. So you may put stuff in there thinking, well, I don't know who's on the other end of this generative AI product, so it's all fine. But Actually, you you just don't know where that's going to wind up. And if it's something that's used by other people, your information, your sensitive or privileged client information may end up getting spat back out to some other user who runs some other similar or related search. So I think AI, while it's great and has so much promise, does raise a bunch
1: of ethical issues that lawyers have to be very mindful of. Right. Well, and and one thing I think is is sort of interesting is there's some legal folks I've seen are just their hands off. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They'll ban chat GPT. They don't want to touch it. And I, I felt that's slightly misguided, you know, especially given the opportunity there. But this has been common. I've covered AI for a number of years, and this is always sort of the thing is that it looks very magical to some people, it looks very scary to other people. And the reality is somewhere in the middle. Somewhere that involves having some more common sense, it's understanding the tools, just understanding what the technology is and, and, and what it does, just sort of as you described, right? This this data that gets fed into a model and we have to be careful of the data and where we're getting the data and, and is it quality? Also the strength of the model itself, all these parts. But I've always felt like so, so much of the fear is they're worried about chat GPT getting involved in legal cases. And it's like, yeah, you're right to be suspicious of that. But wouldn't it be great if you could automate your document generation? Yeah. Those are completely different use cases for the technology, right? They have very little in common, really. And I think that one thing lawyers should keep in mind when it's when playing around with these
0: AI tools is risk. Lawyers are all about risk management. And so you may not necessarily want to use ChatGPT for your multi billion dollar merger. But if you're trying to draft some very straightforward, not super important provision of a contract, say a very plain vanilla non disclosure agreement or something, you can have ChatGPT do it. And I don't think that the risks to you or your client are going to be that great because. How big a deal is this NDA? And so I think you just have to sort of calibrate the types of projects that you're experimenting or playing around with the AI on and see what their corresponding degree of risk is.
1: Yeah, well, and it's funny because that conveniently, the caution of the legal profession actually maps really well to AI because, you know, for decades, the the saying in in tech, you know, is move fast and break things, right? That was the idea. Disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. Yep. And AI just, AI just doesn't work that way. You can't move fast. And if you break things, it's really bad. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. it, re- it requires this care and it requires people from lots of different areas to advise, to bring wisdom to the table, to point things out that, you know, there's historians, there's there are sociologists, there are lawyers, right? There's people from all, all these different corners that have to come together to make sure that a given piece of technology, that the research question is ethical, accurate, possible, that the model is trained well, that the data is good, you know, all those kinds of things. So, it actually, it plays into the caution and it plays into the the detail that lawyers will go to say like, there's one hole here, this is a huge liability or risk for our firm, let's plug that up. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, the sort of like a general enterprise software application where it's like, we just need to make this thing go faster or, or whatever the case may be. So, I think that's another sort of fascinating piece of mm-hmm. the ethics conversation. Yep, yep. I want to give you a chance. Is there any more commentary from you on AI ethics on any of that?
0: No, I think we've covered it fairly well. I mean, obviously, it's a huge topic and it's a constantly evolving one. It's a moving target in many ways. But I think we've sampled a bunch of important issues, even though it would take much, much longer to delve into them very deeply.
1: Well, and do you do you see this currently? All these trends we talked about, do you see them going in one direction, or are these just going to be sort of you know bumps and and waves? Do you feel like we're entering a new reality?
0: That's a good question. I mean, it's really hard to tell. We will often know, I mean, you know, a couple of years from now, Seth, if we were to look back on this, we would say, oh, we were at this point in the curve. I do think we are probably entering a very important new phase, but it it, it is hard to tell. One thing I will also note is it's not unusual for lawyers to resist technology initially. So a lot of technologies that are now ubiquitous in the legal profession really engendered a lot of suspicion and anxiety when they first came out. Email lawyers said, oh, my gosh, is this secure, this email thing or the cloud? There were all these ethical opinions about whether or not you could use the cloud for client documents. And now everything is in the cloud. So uh, I think law tends to be a, a late adopter of many technologies, but the lawyers do get there
1: eventually. That's a great insight. And we'll use that to to slide into our boilerplate questions here at the end. What's the best advice you've received in your career?
0: Yeah, I guess I would say to some, you know, to steal the Nike slogan, just do it. If there's something out there that you want to try and experiment, go for it. A lot of times, what's the worst that can happen? You can often go back to the thing you were doing if that thing doesn't work out. And so, when I made the jump from practicing law to writing about it, I was very anxious about it, and uh, I was uncertain whether I could make this work. But I uh, did it, and all these years later, I have no regrets.
1: That's great. Uh, showing up as uh, 90% of life, right? Yes, that is true yeah. too. <laughs> Go and do it and see what happens. That's great. And is there anything you want to promote uh, or share about uh, yourself, your company, the, the various things you have going on?
0: I would just mention the things that I'm currently up to, which is my Substack newsletter, Original Jurisdiction. It's at davidlat.substack.com. And it also has an accompanying podcast where I interview legal newsmakers I also do various uh, speaking engagements for law firms, in-house legal departments, and I love hearing from people. So you can email me at DavidLatt at Substack.com, and you can also find me on LinkedIn as well.
1: Excellent. David, thank you so much uh, for your time today uh, and your perspective, uh, which is sort of a fresh perspective for us that's been very educational. Hey, thanks for having me, Seth. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkingcom slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Tonkeen community at tonkingcom community.